Today's scripture comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 4 to 6 and 10 through 20. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning to a little bit cooler fall weather, finally. Finally, a bit gray and gloomy even, but it feels good to feel the coolness. This this morning we are looking at a gray and gloomy passage. There are no heroes in it. There's not a happy ending to it because we're looking at sin. Here's a recap, tiny, tiny recap. So God's people, they're tired of the same old, same old manna. They want meat. God gives them meat, gives them quail. They get all the quail they can possibly hold and more. Some get very sick. At the end, those who were craving it the most die. And then they name the place where all these people died. Basically an overdose of quail. They named it Kibroth Hatava. And it just literally means... Here lies the graves of those who craved. This is not a very happy story. So, how in the world is this instructive to us? Especially when we're discovering how a community can become a caring community. 
We're in the middle of a series. We are in the seventh installment of an eight-week series, so we're nearing the end here. And we've called it For One Another, and it's about a community that loves each other well. And the big main idea for all of this comes from Jesus, comes from John 13, where Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, when and if you have love for each other. Uh, Other people will know that you follow me when you love each other well. And so this week we land on this subject. Uh, And here's a one-sentence summary for you. A caring community is a community that will always be talking about sin. Now, isn't that counterintuitive and isn't that strange? Like if, if we would want to be a positive community that loves each other well, why? Why in the world would we bring in such unhappiness and gloom like sin? Like this very unhappy account in Numbers 11. Uh, to answer that, we have our Bible answer man, C.S. Lewis, and he brings something to light in the abolition of man. And he, he says something, he says, if all the world's religions and all the noble ethics and philosophies on life, uh, he said, if they all have universal agreement, agreement in what's noble, so uh, don't take another person's property, um, don't kill each other, lying is destructive, justice is important, generosity is good. If all of those things uh, find universal agreement, uh, C.S. Lewis has a question for his readers, and The question is, okay, if everyone agrees like what's good to do, then why? Why is the world miserable? Why is there misery in the world? And Lewis said this, he said, it's because we don't live that way. Like we all agree, we all agree we should live a certain way. And then the world is full of misery because we don't live that way and so he asks a final follow-up question is okay what's going on there why is there such this disparity this disconnect between what we know is right and what we actually do Uh, you might not even like this this morning uh, but it's a better answer than every worldview philosophy therapy or scientific explanation that i know of and here it is, is what is going on when we don't do the things that we know that are good and right. And I think it's because we are shackled by sin. Shackled, like multiple handcuffs. Paul, Paul, St. Paul describes it as total slavery. So uh, this morning, we want to we get to this idea that sin is not just external naughty misdeeds that we can catalog and describe. But sin is a power. Right? Sin is a power that is bigger than humanity's ability to overcome it. So if we never see sin as a power that shuts down all of us, including our minds, 
then we'll never see our need to be uncuffed from anything. We don't need to be freed from anything. So uh, let's just look at Israel from our passage this morning in Numbers 11. Uh, they're in essence, they're saying this, you know, uh, we had actually a pretty good time back in Egypt. I, I think, I think we should probably head back. We should totally go back. Egypt was kind of cool. It had quite the array of food options. Alright, so in modernity, here we are. Um, we read Numbers 11, and you and I think, oh, they are total morons. Really? Really? Free fish? That's what you're citing? Free fish? Really? You didn't pay for it? Really? They destroyed your families and murdered your kids, and they took away all your rights and whipped you upon a whim and destroyed your, your culture, and they destroyed your rest. You had to work seven days a week. They had unrealistic demands for labor, Right? Make brick with no straw. Um, they limited your supplies. They demanded the same amount of output, really. And you're gonna you're gonna talk about free fish. Uh, and so we can look at them and say, oh, "You guys, you're morons." That's like a a North Korean refugee saying like he wants to go back to North Korea because there was uh, pure well water in his village and free health care. You say, I I'm not so sure you're taking in the whole picture. Um, but we see something, we get muddled. We get muddled in our minds because of sin. Because if they went back, they'd get killed. And, and Or they could just say, okay, I'll hold out with the manna. I'll hold out with the manna because I'm going to hold out for what God has next, the, the promises that he has next. Um, how come they can't even think clearly? Why do, why, why do they get so muddled? Uh, because sin is a power. Sin is a power. And they're slaves to it. See, now, now we're getting closer to what C.S. Lewis observed. Uh, they, they know what's best if they were thinking. And then they're spiritually powerless to do what is best. Uh, the scriptures say it over and over again. Right, every human's the same on this score. Uh, no one is above this. Paul says it in Romans seven. He actually literally says it. He says, "You know, I have a desire to do what's good, but I, I can't even carry it out. I can't carry it out. I'm sold under slavery to sin." That's what Paul says. Now, now some of you could be says, "Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm actually kind of decent." And I'm way more decent than those idiots on the other side of the aisle. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Right? You could say, like, I don't really feel enslaved to sin. Well, I want to show you something this morning that will help you out, and it will help us all have a caring community. Um, here's, here's a basic fact or a premise that I give you is that sin isn't just actions. It's a power on you and me and us. And it's a power that takes away our freedom. It takes away way more perceived freedoms than um, what you think you're going to lose to the other candidate winning, right? It makes your mind and emotions less free. It's another way of saying this is that it puts cuffs upon cuffs upon cuffs uh, on you like a slave. So here's our case in point. Um, the, the people of God in Numbers 11, they begin to crave 
the comforts of Egyptian, Egyptian civilization, right? And then their emotions, because of that craving, their emotions actually begin to be changed. Um, they, they think this. We didn't even have to pay for food back there, right? So they're craving what they desire actually is superseding and overwhelming what they're thinking. It's messing with their actual mind. It's destroying logic. It's destroying rationality. Because why? Sin is a power. You know what they say in Numbers 11? They say, we have no appetite. And literally, if, if in the Hebrew, it's um, our strength is dried up within us. Uh, David uses that in the Psalms. Um, I have no appetite. I have no longing for things. I have no, my, my strength is dried up. I can't do this anymore. The manna is going to kill me. Okay, so this is what God does. He says, all right, I'm going to give you the meats. But here's something interesting. The more you get of the meats, the more you will hate it. In fact, you will get so much of it and you won't stop getting more of it and it will come out of your nostrils. That's the imagery God says. So what is happening here? It, it really looks like addiction to me. I, I, I've been in the 12-step rooms. It, it looks and sounds so familiar to me. Let, let me show you how sin is an addiction that puts more and more cuffs on you. Let, let me just show you something where, where our craving, our desires will enslave us to a point where we cannot get ourselves out. Let me show you sin as a power. And when I say that, let me show you how sin is bigger than your power. So, uh, with any addiction, what, what happens? Right? You have a stressor, a problem, an outside difficulty. And so, what do we all do? Um, we choose something. And it can be anything, really. Right? It can be a substance. It can be a drug. It can be an activity. It can be an escape. And, and what do we do? We choose this thing, whatever it is. And we've chosen it to manage the problem, to cope with the problem, to deal with the problem, to help with the problem, to medicate the problem. We've chosen that thing because we think, oh, it, it will, it will give me some control over the difficulty. And, and so, the thing we've chosen, actually, it comes attached with a little bit of a promise. And the promise is this, hey, this will free you, right? This will free you up from the problem and the stress. Um, this, this will actually give you some measure of control back to your life. And, and so what do we do? Whatever we selected, we do it. We do it. And now the power is inserted into our life. If you talk to uh, 
any mental health professional, so a therapist or a counselor or those who have worked with addiction and recovery, um, they will tell you this, is that uh, a tolerance effect begins to happen in the life of addiction. So whatever I needed today to help me with the stress, tomorrow I'm going to need a little bit more of it, right, as my problem fixer. Um, so it could be overwork, right? I, I'm going to overwork to escape other problems, and tomorrow I'll need to work actually more because those problems will be bigger, and I'm going to have to work more to escape or numb myself from those problems. And what happens is you will do it more and more because of the tolerance effect, and you will do it so much more that it's coming out of your nostrils. The second thing it does is um, when sin inserts its power is that your cravings will cause you to deny and reject what is real. Right? You'll become very selective in choosing your evidence in your self-justifying. You'll blot out huge areas of life and facts and disciplines just to accommodate what you want to do. Um, what is the third thing? When, when sin is inserted as a power, it actually begins to dis destroy. And, and what I mean by that, it means that we begin to fix our problem with the very poison that created the problem. Um, you know, you know you're an addict when you fix your problems with the thing that is your problem. And this can be people-pleasing. It can be anger. It can be overwork. It can be substance abuse of all manners of types. It can be escapes and numbing. Um, we see this. Is sin is an addictive power. It's not just actions. Right? And I think, and I think, oh, okay, this is going to bring me some measure of freedom from myself. But what does it do? It just adds weights, shackles, and cuffs. And it pushes us deeper into the cell block. Uh, the scriptures say that this is the experience of every single human. I'm not calling anybody out this morning. This is everybody. Sin is just craving something more than God. Sin is wanting and working for something more than God. Uh, look, I, I think... Those of you who are arriving to midlife or have arrived to midlife, I think you're going to get this. Right? When you were in college, post-grad, I think, I think we all thought, if only, if only I'd finish school, if only I'd land a secure upwardly moving job with real benefits. If only that, then, then things will be pretty okay. Then we thought, okay, if only I, I pay off some of my loans and I get a sweet vehicle, if only, like, life will be pretty okay. And then, and then we, th but it changed and we thought, oh, if only, if only I got a sweet pad and some real estate I'd be sad. I'd be pretty good. 
but we weren't pretty good. And and then we were thinking, okay, if only, if only, if only I found someone to share it with. And they were smart and they were sexy and they were adventurous. If only, if only, if only, if only. And then, and then you found the person to share it with. I've had this conversation so many times in pubs, in coffee shops, in living rooms. And, and then there was a conversation that happened uh, a little later and it was another if only conversation about the one that you found to share life with. And now this one sounds like this. If only, if only, if only I got rid of this one and I could try out a new one, then I think life would be pretty okay. Th those of you in midlife, this has continued, hasn't it? You know this already. If only, if only we had some good friends if only we were kind of just in the right neighborhood and in, if only, if only we, we were in the right schools and if only I could just fix my right vocational pursuit. If only we took the right trips and if only we had the right therapy. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only, if only. I, I think those of you who have lived life you get what I'm talking about. And this gets us to the heart of the power of sin. Verse 4. If only we had meat to eat. If only we had that then we could obey and do the program. If only we had those cucumbers and melons and leeks and garlic. If only, if only I could get a place in Tahoe, then I could truly rest and, 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 and give more things to God. Yeah, 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 if only. This morning, I, I want you to slow down a little here. Slow, slow down your heart a little bit. Okay, th the next time... You, you find yourself in deep anxiety. The next time you find yourself fearful, the next time you find yourself in that sticky problem with tons of stress, what do you say to yourself internally? If only blank. then I would be pretty good and life would be okay. Hey, whatever you put in that blank, you will discover your addiction. You will discover your warden. You will discover your pimp. The thing that adds handcuff after handcuff after handcuff, not freedom. Sin is a power uh, the things you crave, if only, if only, if only, sin puts handcuffs on us that we can't undo ourselves. See, self-help won't fix it. C.S. Lewis got that, didn't he? Otherwise, all of humanity would do it. We would uncuff ourselves. Okay, we've got to ask ourselves this question because that's gray and gloomy. Uh, how do we get uncuffed? 
why does a caring community talk about the addiction and power of sin? Well, just three little ones here. A caring community is one that knows and reminds each other that, one, we are not more powerful than the sin. Otherwise, we don't really need a Savior. Somebody, somebody has to wake us up to this notion that we can handle it. Somebody has to remind us that we are, if only, all our way through life. And a caring community does that for each other. We remind each other, we are not more powerful than our own misery and problems. Uh, The second thing, a caring community is one that knows and reminds each other that self-help finger-waving and shaming will never fix the problem. So we don't say, naughty, 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 stop that, you idiot. Stop being bad. Stop it, bad boy. You need more gumption. You need more resolve. You need to buckle buckle up, get serious. We, We don't do that. That's not what we say to each other. You know what we say to each other? Oh, Oh, you you haven't been experiencing God, have you? Oh, oh, you've been craving. You've been craving the if-onlys. And you need to try another taste of God. And that happens. It happens in worship and weeping and laughing and hearing and remembering and praying and speaking and singing together. Sometimes it does this. Sometimes it delivers to our mind's eye a sense of God himself. How he is immense and he's powerful and he's grand and he's kind and he's strange and he's mysterious and he's good. Do we deliver that to ourselves? We can't do that. We need a community to do that. And and so a new craving emerges among a caring community. If only, if only, if only I had more of him. If only I tasted more graciousness. If only I could taste some mercy. If only I could experience his his care and his love and his justice. If only I could see his ways and his movements and his wisdom. If only I could know him and the power of what his resurrection does in a life, in a community. If only, if only, if only. A, a, A new, greater appetite will always free you from lesser appetites. You know this already. <laughs> I know this already. Right? If you've had Crack Shack or Howlin' Rays, are you ever going to go back to Popeye's? No, nah, not really, unless you're on the road and it's the only thing you have to eat. Right? You're not going back to lesser appetites if you've had a better spicy chicken sandwich. The third thing. A, a caring community will always remind each other that we need a way better Moses. 
We need a Moses that's better at being Moses than Moses, and we need Jesus. What does Moses say? This is in verses 14 and 15. He says, I'm not, I'm not able to carry all the, all these people alone. The burden's too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, just kill me, God. Right? If, if you, if you like me, you'll kill me so that I won't even see how bad things get for me. Uh, what is Moses saying? All of these problems? Uh, yeah, they're a little much for me. Ew, the people's ick is all over me. I don't want these, I don't want these people on my back. I, I, if you put their problems on me, just, just, just kill me before you do that. I'd rather die than put up with all their nonsense. What did Jesus do for his people? I will die to take their nonsense. I'd rather their problems be put on me than for them to die. Put these people on my back, Father. Put their ick and ew on me. I will, I will lose my freedom so that they will be uncuffed. We have a better Moses. We have Jesus. And a caring community will never shut up about sin. Why? Why? Because our sin will always beat a path to our Savior who takes our sin. It's the only way we get uncuffed and become free from the power of it. Let's pray into that as a caring community. Jesus, do not show us our sin so that we grieve without hope, but show us our sin so that we end up seeing you and knowing the power that is bigger than our craving if-onlys. Jesus, do this among our little community, but we plead that you would also do it in your larger church, in our state, nation, and globe. Please, Jesus, do this so that we see you as our only Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.